The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 142. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine fourth season premiere called The Way of the Warrior. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, if you can, we'd really appreciate it if you would share the secrets of Star Trek with your friends. Help us grow this community of Trekkies uh, as we explore Star Trek in all of its facets and over its many decades. We really do appreciate that. So as I mentioned, we are discussing the fourth season premiere. We're jumping back and forth between first season episodes and and now the fourth season episode so we can have uh, some of the good stories to go along with some of the not as good (laughs) stories. Let's just put it that way. Just be clear that that first season was rough. Uh, we we the last Deep Space Nine story we did was uh, Move Along Home, and that that kind of leaves a bad. It's bad not taste. as bad as the storyteller, <laughs> no. which is coming. That's coming up anyway. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now now I, I do have yes. to, to mention. Okay, so this is the first episode where Cisco shaves his head. So you yes. got you know, D- T- TNG is when Riker grows the beard, it gets good. Is it when Cisco shaves his head? Is when DS Nine gets good? Well, and grows the beard. So and the, grows, he gets and the beard. The yeah. Yes. So yeah. they're behind the scenes. There is a story about this mm-hmm. because Avery Brooks has a preferred look, which is shaved head and with a goatee. And he was required to do the reverse to shave his chin and not his head to play Cisco. And he didn't feel comfortable with this uh, because he, he, it's just not his preferred look. And so he was uncomfortable for the first three years of Deep Space Nine with how he looked. Terry Farrell, the actress who plays Jadzia, compared him to the way he looked, you know, because he's very boyish mm-hmm. in those first three seasons. And she she said he looks like a black Ken doll, mm. <laughs> right. you know, which is a pretty accurate description. Yeah. And But he really was uncomfortable. And finally, now that Ira Stephen Bear was the showrunner, he went to the higher-ups and said, look, can we let this guy have his preferred look? And they said, yeah, okay. And so they were able to accommodate that, and Cisco feels much more confident, I think, Yes. after this shift is made. He's, it's like he's in, his, own, he's in his, his groove now. He's comfortable with how he appears, and I think that affects his acting. Also, the studio mandated, though— that we want your ratings up and we want you to take on a character from TNG now that their show is done mm-hmm. and we want you to take on Worf. And initially this was very disruptive because they had planned to start the Dominion War now. 
And that, in fact, the the end of the previous episode of the season three finale, the adversary uh, changeling tries to destroy Deep Space Nine and so forth. And his dying words to Odo are, you're too late, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that's the drop-off point for season three. You would expect them to follow up on that in a big way in season four. It's going to be finding out, okay, so where all are the changelings and what are they doing? And so they plan to start the Dominion War this season, but they said, wait, if we're reconfiguring the show by having a wharf become a regular, we need to really embrace this. And so Iris Stephen Bear decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna embrace this. You know, Worf is actually probably the best character we could take from TNG. If we've got to take one of the characters, Worf is probably the one we can do the most with, especially because he's the most rough edged mm-hmm. of all of the TNG characters. And that's what makes DS9 different than Next Gen, is it's everybody is rough edged. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's like, we're going to embrace this, we're going to get on board with this, we're going to make it our own, and we're going to turn it to our advantage. And so what that meant is they decided to spend a whole year dealing with the Klingons and integrating them into the show mm-hmm. before they pulled the trigger on the Dominion War. And so this is, this is the setup for that. But they still do, it's kind of interesting, pay off the final line of the Changeling from the previous season you're too late. We're everywhere by starting this episode with a with a changeling hunt, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's the very first thing we see is Cisco and Kira with phaser rifles chasing a changeling, and we don't realize this is a security drill. It's Odo, mm-hmm. but it's nicely done, and and Odo eventually gets caught, but only after having successfully disguised himself as the reflective surface of a panel on a kiosk. Yep. Right. Which is a really creative thing for him to be, is just this reflective surface. And it's nicely done. And then that serves as a prelude to the bigger changeling hunt for reels this time that will occupy us in this episode. Right. You know, for a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, if if you want if you watch the the recent documentary, What We Left Behind, it talks about a lot of this kind of thing and does a really good job of describing what their thought process was with some of these kind of changes as they were going on. Yeah, one of the things when the the first came up that they needed to get their ratings up from season 3, the one of the first ideas that was apparently considered was having the Vulcans leave the Federation as a shakeup mm. of the thing, mm-hmm. which is interesting how that ends up being part of the the third season of Discovery was the Vulcans have left the Federation. So I I find that kind of interesting. But ultimately they decided that that instead they wanted to have the Federation and the Klingons break off diplomatic relations because the Klingons had, by now, by this point, they'd become our friends. They'd been sort of defanged and they'd become fodder for internal politics and family squabble stories. But now they're back as the, the really tough you know adversaries, not villains per se, but they're adversaries. And I think that really, it really revitalized the Klingons as an interesting uh, and, race. And- and that's something that they've been working towards for a while. It, when mm-hmm. they first introduce us to the Klingons in Next Gen, in Season 1 of Next yeah. Gen, they're actually part of the Federation. And right. and that really did not stick. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pretty, pretty quickly, it's like, okay, no, they're, they can be our allies, but they're, they haven't actually become members. And then they progressively start to work towards them being more threatening by introducing 
the sisters of Duras and Duras himself and having yep. Picard as the successor and arbitrator and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, it it became very um, almost Romulan in its machinations and, you know, the internal stuff. Uh, but yeah, they, they had been building up the Klingons. Having Worf there as part of that, I think, it was, was the key. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think having Worf as the one who comes over, bringing with him all of the baggage uh, shall we say that he had i mean could you imagine if they brought wesley <laughs> well, well no one was contemplating that <laughs> I mean, they, you you could say okay well data is one of the most popular characters yeah. he's one mm-hmm. of the, i mean you can't really bring picard over right so if you were looking at who else is popular well Riker is popular and data is popular and Worf's popular and of those three Worf is the best yeah. yes yeah, Data would have. Worf is the one who is, who's got a role that isn't necessarily duplicated. He, he he's abrasive, so mm-hmm. he's going to clash with say Kira and Odo. But he's yeah, it, he's it, closest to Odo. I mean, on yeah. he's the security officer on on the Enterprise, and Odo's the security officer. Right. But and they're both abrasive, but then everybody is on this show. Yeah. Right. It, well, the question is. Will he fit and play a useful role? And he does. And actually, I I think building up the Klingons as major players in the Dominion War benefits this show. Oh, yeah. Having that alliance between the Klingons, the Romulans, and the Federation against the Dominion Mm. is a nice combination that I think adds to the show. I only wish we'd actually gotten more of the Romulans Mm. as part of that. Yeah, they 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 were in there, but they weren't quite as senior players. Uh, you talk about Worf and his, his position, you know, it worked out well where he basically becomes the de facto captain of the Defiant. You know, so yes. they have an actual battleship and you have a Klingon at the head of the actual battleship. Right. You know, and that really worked out well because he fits, most of the time he fits better than Cisco does in that captain's chair, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. So one of the other thing, aspects of this too is that I like the complexity to the overall story that we've got here. It's not simply the Alpha Quadrant versus the, the 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 Dominion, but we've got this complexity where the the Klingons, as, as we'll see in this episode, they they see the, themselves as working on behalf of the interests of all the Alpha Quadrant, the the Federation and the Romulans, yeah. whoever, uh, by going after the Cardassians because they believe the Cardassians are in league with the Dominion, and and not understanding why the Federation isn't coming along. Look, we're, we're doing the thing that needs to be done. Yeah. Right. So we should probably backfill the plot a little bit for the listeners. So mm-hmm. what happens in this episode is, skipping over some of the character stuff for the moment, the main plot in this episode is a General Martok shows up with a battle, Klingon battle fleet, and they request shore leave at DS9, which, of course, they're given. And so we have Klingons all over the station. But Cisco comes to suspect that there's more going on here than what Martok is telling him. And actually what Martok's orders are, apparently, is use your fleet with all its cloaks and stuff to board and search for changelings on ships in the in the Bajoran sector. And in particular, they're interested in what's happening on Cardassia because there has been a coup on Cardassia between seasons, and the military junta is out of power, and a civilian authority known as the Datapa Council 
although they keep saying it console, I don't know why. A console <laughs> and a council are two different things. A yeah. console is an is an official. A council is a group of people. <laughs> um, but the Detapa Council is now the uh, civilian head of the uh, Cardassian Empire. The Obsidian Order is gone, and the Klingons suspect that this kind of coup is is really the founders seizing control of Cardassia. And even Odo admits, if my people wanted to take over Cardassia, that's how they do it. Right. So it's a plausible story. And so we have an early kind of issue with the Klingons. Of course, you know, we have Klingons beating people up on the station and abusing shore leave privileges. But then we have a Klingon captain named Kabok who seizes or attacks uh, Cassidy Yates's ship, the Zoza, to search it for Klingons, and Cisco has to come to the rescue. And then we have the Klingons going after Cardassia itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's sort of the main plot of this episode. So it's interesting that we don't see Worf at all until the very end of Act Two. It's, so yeah. because it's it's it, this is a a feature length uh, episode. It's it's basically two episodes together. It's one, so it's got eight acts instead of the usual four. And we don't see Worf until the until the basically the very end of Act Two, and he really starts in Act Three. So this is interesting that how much build up we get because of mm-hmm. the length of this story. But it doesn't feel like they're stretching very much. Like they're they're stretching yeah, for time. They, they pack a lot into these episodes, that's for sure. Or this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that Worf is brought in is to serve as an expert advisor on how to deal and as a, as an intermediary with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you mentioned Cassidy, so we we have the development of the relationship between Cassidy Yates and Cisco. Uh, Right. I like the beginning where they, they she's back on the station after, you know, a, a trip or whatever, and they have a date. And her gift to him is a baseball cap from the Pike City Pioneers that her brother plays on the team. And I, this is one of those things yeah. where they've, you know, Cisco's love of baseball is is, is part of the show. I, I wanted to comment on this scene. So she goes over to his quarters where he's cooked dinner for them, and they each give each other a gift. And the gifts are both callbacks to original series episodes. Yep. He has given her a shawl or something made of Tholian silk. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously a reference to, you know, the Tholian web, Tholian silk, mm-hmm. you know, web, web, yep. So, web, yeah. Yep, yep. And it must be very heat resistant given what they later establish about <laughs> Tholians. Yes. <laughs> Wear that up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this was... We this was like one of the first, maybe the first mention of the Tholians since the original series, because they don't appear at all in Next Gen. Right. And so this was a pretty deep cut. Also, the Pike City Pioneers that Cassidy's brother plays for are on Cestus Three, the episode that uh, from the episode Arena where the Gorns attacked. Right, um, right. And so they've apparently reestablished that colony and they have a baseball team there now. Uh, named for, uh, I wonder if Pike City must be named for Captain Pike. I would, I would suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I just always love seeing uh, Cassidy Yates because I yeah. have such a crush on her. Her and Samantha <laughs> Carter, they both have Penny, uh, Cassidy Yates, and Samantha Carter just both have these smiles that make me melt inside. So yeah. I always enjoy seeing <laughs> you. Them. You and if about a half a fandom. Trust me. Yes. Yeah. If you're a sci-fi fan of a certain age, yes, <laughs> man, yeah. 
<laughs> also, I, I as I was watching this episode, it reminded me just a couple of months ago. So I was doing a Columbo rewatch, and I re- I was watching this Columbo episode from the 1990s, and it's got Penny Johnson in it, yep. the actress who plays mm-hmm. Cassidy Yates. And so I was just so tickled to see her in this other role, and she's just as bright and competent and cheerful as she is as Cassidy Yates in this Columbo episode. Mm-hmm. So I tweeted her. And she tweeted me back and oh. said, actually, my family was just was just going to do a Columbo. This was Christmas Eve mm. that I uh, I tweeted her. And she tweeted back and said, actually, we're just going to do a Columbo marathon for Christmas. And thank you. And it was just made my day to have a tweet from uh, Penny Johnson. You know, yeah. as bad as social media can be, sometimes you have these little the, – the, the, you see the nice parts of it, which is yep. the ability to connect with, with someone like that. Yeah. And, of course, you can see her – eventually on season three of Orville, <laughs> whenever that comes out. Gosh, someday. <laughs> someday, maybe. I keep forgetting that, yeah. <laughs> so we do have the introduction of General Martok. This is his first appearance, mm-hmm. and at this point he has both eyes. And uh, I gotta say, of I think Martok is my favorite Klingon in all of Star Trek. More than Worf. Yes. I hmm. I like Worf okay, but he's not, he's not, he's kind of stiff. Worf is an atypical. Yeah, Martok yeah. is is not stiff in the same way. Yeah, I really like Martok. I don't know if I'd say he's my favorite, but I I really like Martok a lot. Yeah, and I don't like him as much in this first appearance. No, because no. he's not who he becomes. In fact, one of the things now we mentioned that Klingon captain that had orders to search the Zoza, uh, Kabok. Mm-hmm. It is indicated later on. I mean, Martok storms into. Uh, Cisco's office after he's rescued Cassidy from Kabok mm-hmm. and throws Kabok's ceremonial knife on Cisco's death and storms yep. out again and and Cisco says why did he give this to me and and Jedzia who's there says he's letting you know that Kabok is dead and he probably executed him for disobeying orders mm-hmm. right and then again at the end of this. When Cisco and the Klingon fleet are having a standoff, and Cisco is talking to Gowron and Martok about, look, it's going to be better if you stand down. Gowron's listening to reason, and Martok is the one that wants to keep attacking, even right. though, as Cisco has just pointed out, that's exactly what the founders want: is for us to be at each other's throats, and and Martok wants to keep attacking. Now, what the characters in the show don't know. And I don't even think the writers knew it at this point yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Is this isn't the real Martok. This Martok is a changeling. And the yes. real Martok is in a prison. Oh, sure. And so the first time, in right. fact, the two times that Martok appears this season, at the beginning and again at the end, it's actually the changeling Martok. Mm. Right. And that explains part of why he's different than the Martok we know and like, why he's willing to execute an officer when he shouldn't and why he wants to keep fighting when he shouldn't right 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 yeah that's one of the things that when when that episode eventually comes up in season five i think it is and it's like what because yeah yeah, (laughs) someone else that's also been replaced record record scratch at that moment yeah but uh is bashir but i don't think the changing bashir is no there yet no that's much well we actually had a changeling bashir in the third season finale, right. but he dies. Yes. And so it's the, um, 
Julian's going to get grabbed another time later on, but much closer to when we find him. That's right. That's right. But so by the way, is, speaking of, speaking of eyes, we got to go. We got to go yeah. back. Is we get a lot of the Gowron eyes. <laughs> yes. I know. Oh, some Rob, of the great Gowron eyes are in this episode. <laughs> Robert O'Reilly has the biggest eyes. They're just <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just there's one line that he gives that's it's it's in a meme and yeah. it's just it's awesome. Uh, it, it, someone memed it with, uh, I want to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. Ah, it's got the yeah. eyes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's awesome. Uh, so there's a bunch of, there's not a bunch, there's some scenes that are that have been cut from syndic- the syndicated version of this uh, episode. They, they cut them for time, but have been added back in various online versions on Amazon and Netflix. Mm. Uh, one of them is this scene, first scene in Quark's bar, where all the Klingons are there now, and Quark is talking to O'Brien and Bashir, and basically his point is, they're too quiet. Yeah. <laughs> if there are Klingons all over this station, it should be a lot rowdier and noisier than it is. Uh, and yeah. I thought that was interesting. I like how Quark knows the decibel, the ordinary average ambient decibel level in his bar. Oh. <laughs> yes. um, he says, <laughs> ordinarily, it's 65, but with Klingons, it should be 85. Yeah. And... And decibel, so decibels are a logarithmic scale, mm-hmm. and if you go from sixty-five to eighty-five, it's ten times louder. Literally, yes. a full yeah. ten times louder. Isn't eighty-five and, like a chainsaw? <laughs> well, it's between having a ringing phone directly up to your ear and having a hair dryer directly up to your ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that it, I find it a little implausible that Klingons normally keep it at eighty-five ambient. Yeah, well, it, it sounds a lot like some of the uh, the uh, punk clubs that I saw in in the eighties in downtown Boston. Yeah. <laughs> they would be that loud. Oh sure, uh, you know, of course, with ears like that, you, you'd you'd imagine that Frankie have very are very attuned to decibel levels. I mean, they, they, yes. they can you know they can probably tell the slightest difference. So makes exactly. sense. You know, speaking of Changeling Martok, by the way, we have a scene where Martok meets with Cisco and uh, Kira. I think it's Kira, and insists that they all cut their hands to prove that they're not changelings. changelings. Mm-hmm. So if this is a Changeling Martok, it makes you wonder how do how do you get that. How do you they, do that? They they cover that later, I believe. I don't think they fully spell it out, but I can think of at least two ways that you could achieve that effect. Yeah. The first is get some human blood and carry it in you, or Klingon right. blood in his case, and just carry it in you and then leak it out your hand when the time right. comes. Right. So the And the other is trick knife, which is actually how they do it. They're not really cutting their hands in this scene. It's yeah. a knife that that it, yeah. it's a trick knife that bleeds. It always amuses me in TV and movies where uh, how casually characters will often just cut their hands to for yeah. you know not necessarily to prove they're not changing, but like as a sign of their allegiance, and they clasp hands or you yeah, know do like stuff blood, like that blood bond or whatever by right. just but, slicing but how, their hand with a knife. It's like that. How hurt. casually people <laughs> that hurts like anything. <laughs> you know, just kind of go on with things. You ever get a paper that. cut? It's worse. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I think more of the recovery time than the momentary pain. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's going to hurt at the moment. I can deal with that, but man, that's going to take a long time to heal. Yeah. And and I was I was thinking about that as I was watching them do it. I'm going, nah, it's going to be different. They can just go down to sick bay and use a dermal regenerator. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. So uh, also speaking of technological upgrades, they're retrofitting DS9 as a battle station now. Yeah. Yes. And it yeah, turns uh, out to when- be pretty. Uh, 
pretty impressive to say the least. It is. No, later on, it's still it's hard for them to hold out against the Dominion and Cardassians, but but yet this one, yeah, they do. Yeah, another one of those scenes, by the way, that was cut in syndication was this scene between Kira and Dax in the Hollow Suite, which mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're trying to find things to cut, this doesn't seem to be all that important to the main story, the main plotline. But I think it's an interesting character moment because Kira, like Dax, is as you ex- expect, is all into this story that they're playing. And we find that Kira really has a hard time with imaginary play. And she t- talks about how, well, you know, I just didn't have as much imagination as a kid. I was too busy trying to survive the occupation yeah. of my planet. And it's an interesting insight into Kira as a character and the trauma she continues to carry mm-hmm. from that past. I, I, I kind of like this scene for that because... Yeah, it is kind of a, a silly little thing to go into a hollow suite and pretend that these right. projections are real people. Well, well we, it it seemed. I I I I agree. It's a nice insight on Kira as a character and on Dax as a character. I found it a little problematic, though, because they're just pretending to be in a day spa, mm-hmm. right? You know, and and they've got a holographic masseur there that that Jadzia is recommending to Kira. And it's like, okay. And Kira's objecting because he's not a real person. And I'm going, he's effectively a robot masseur. Yeah. Who right. cares if he's real or not? Let him give you a massage or don't, but don't fret about it. I, I would understand more if this was like a, a hollow novel mm-hmm. that they were doing. And she feels silly interacting with a, a character that isn't real. That's, you know, although even then... Like slugging, a, slugging Lancelot? Well, yeah. Like <laughs> Later on, we have this other scene where they've apparently been playing uh, King Arthur, and they're coming out of the holodeck, and Kira has just slugged Lancelot because he kissed her, and Jadzia's like, he's supposed to kiss you. And I'm playing a married woman, so she's apparently Guinevere. Guinevere. Yep. Yeah but doesn't know the Arthurian legend, and so she thought Lancelot was acting inappropriately and decked him. (laughs) And I could understand that, you know, her being uncomfortable, feeling silly playing Knights of the Round Table in Mm -hmm. the holodeck, but playing day spa and letting a a robot made of light give you a massage, that's not as... Yeah. But she's still uptight. Yeah, she's still uptight. Yeah, But that's Kira. We, you know, and we've complained with good reason about the the character development on Discovery because it's way too much and way too melodramatic. I will say that this episode does a lot better job than anything Discovery has ever done in character development, both with Worf and with with Kira and a couple of the other yeah characters they have in here. Yes, I agree. I agree that it's it's there's development, but it's somewhat subtle, at least in comparison. So another character that shows up that we get in this is Garrick, one of one of every you know one of the favorites. Garrick is just a, just, just a simple uh, tailor, just a just simple, a simple tailor. tailor. We start with him and Odo. Odo's demonstrating how he can pretend to uh, eat and drink, which I think is uh, fun. And then uh, they get harassed by these uh, Klingons. Odo stops them from harassing Morn. That's what was how it started. Mm-hmm. And then. Garrick then gets attacked in his shop by the Klingons, who, because being a Cardassian. And then later on, when Bashir is treating him in the infirmary, Garrick says, you know, the, Bashir's like, oh, they, they, they hurt you so they, bad. They, He's like, they, ah. they broke seven of your transverse ribs. Yeah. <laughs> 
But but Garrett gets to say, ah, but I got off several cutting remarks, which no doubt did serious damage to their egos. Yeah. I just, I, I love yeah. oh, Garrett's and, lines. And you've almost got me completely healed, but the damage I did to them will last a lifetime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I love how they write Garrick. It's, it's just so great. Uh, well, then he just so, happens to be needed for some tailor work later on that just happens to hear some information that he might need right. to know. Right. Uh, so Cisco wants to warn the Cardassians that the Klingons are coming without, you know, violating the treaty between the Federation and the Klingons and starting a war between the Federation and Klingons. And so knowing that Garrick can get information back, uh, accidentally, quote unquote, uh, reveals the information while Garrick is measuring him for a, a new suit, uh, that well, sort of thing. Yeah, so the reason they're doing that is they have learned that the Klingons are going to attack the Cardassian homeworld. The question is, do we warn the Cardassians? And because the Klingons are our allies, the Federation doesn't want to warn the Cardassians because mm-hmm. that would blow up our treaty with the Klingons. If they thought we're deliberately sabotaging their war effort. And so, on the other hand, Cisco wants to protect the Cardassian government, or at least give them a shot, now that they have the civilian government. And so he says, well, we can't just go in and warn them, but we want to somehow get word to them. And so to construct plausible deniability, he summons Garrick and demands that he measure him for a suit. (laughs) Mm-hmm. In the middle of a meeting where they are discussing among themselves, the senior officers, the upcoming yeah. Klingon attack on the Cardassian homeworld, <laughs> and so and and Garrick is really quick. There's the, he, there are like two lines they get out, yep. neither of which is fully explicit, and he has all the information he needs to go back and report. Right, right. Uh, so and notice this is the this is one of two times. That Cisco circumvents Starfleet orders in right. this episode. In this episode, so, yeah, yeah. Because what's going to happen is, as the Klingons, even despite the warning that Garrick gives the Cardassians, the Klingons start whooping their uh, butts for them, and the civilian government is going to uh, fall. And so Cisco contacts. Gal Dukat, who has who saw which way the wind was blowing and and switched from the military junta to supporting the civilian government, and he arranges for Dukat to take the civilian government on a spaceship, which he'll meet and escort back to Federation space or Bajoran space mm-hmm. to get him out of the way of the Klingons. Okay, rescue the Cardassian government is definitely beyond the mandate that Starfleet gave you. <laughs> <laughs> your mandate was don't warn the Cardassian government. Now you're mounting a rescue mission for them without authorization. Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that he seems to have... We're no. well on our way to in the pale moonlight at this point. Yes, that that's well, why I was saying like in just this episode, because over the course of the next few seasons, Cisco is going to get more and more morally compromised in the sense, or you know, ethically compromised from his Starfleet... Standard. Well, there's even the issues of the treaties with the Romulans about cloaking device that Bashir reminds them and right. oh we won't tell the Romulans, will we? <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh Cisco at this point, you seeing how the winds are blowing, so we're ba- you know back at the uh, before the hostilities have started, he requests Worf's help, as we mentioned from Starfleet. Now Worf at this point the 
the, the, at this point in Star Trek time, the Enterprise D has been destroyed in Generations, yep. the movie Generations. And mm-hmm. so Worf's been on leave, uh, you know, while a new Enterprise is prepared, the F. And he's uh, been on leave at the Klingon Monastery at Borath, which Would is interesting. The e? E. Yeah, you said, you said the Enterprise F. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm, I skipped the E. Uh, so is there even an F? Never mind. So the, after the... Uh, there, there, there is the, in, he, uh, a Star Trek Online, by the way. There's that's right. That's right. F. That's must be where I thought of it. He's been on leave at the, the Klingon Monastery of Borth, which we saw in Star Trek Discovery Season 2, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's thinking of resigning from Starfleet. Does he even have a place there anymore? I, he's kind of has an identity crisis uh, for himself and, or midlife Klingon crisis. Mm-hmm. This, I thought, was one of the least successful parts of this episode, mm-hmm. where the Worf's whole career crisis, am I going to stay or am I going to go? It's like, eh, this isn't really adding a lot to this for me. Right. Because we know what's ha- going to happen by the end of the episode. Yeah. Worf is you not know, leaving he, Starfleet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, yeah. You, could, you could tell they wanted to do it as a parallel to Ben Sisko's own journey in the first first episode of season one you know the pilot right it even brings where, it up yeah you know and so you you could tell they were kind of doing that and it almost kind of felt like a, a reintroduction if you will you know kind of a reboot of sorts with that but yeah that's true so uh wharf goes to uh quarks and he uh, runs into o'brien he orders his prune juice we have to have the prune juice o- runs into o'brien and bashir and then meets kira and dax recognizes Dax as the former Curzon Dax, and she says something mm-hmm. in Klingon. He's like, "Oh, this is qu- uh, quite an honor." And she says something in Klingon. I looked it up. You can look it up online. She says, "I'm better looking than he was." And Worf <laughs> and is kind of throws. I suppose so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then Kira, and then she doesn't tell the others what she actually said, which I think is funny. Oh, I yeah, just she said says, something. says it loses something in translation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so she's sort of boasting, flirting with him, but doesn't want the others to know. And I don't know how much the writers realized this at this point, but knowing where Jadzia and Worf's relationship is going to go, this episode nicely sets that up. Yeah, Uh, because she's very she's she's no longer the insecure "Who am I, Dax?" from season one, living in Curzon Shadow. She's her own woman now, Mm -hmm. and she's self confident, and she is up on Klingons. I mean, she knows about them and is happy to engage with them. And she actually has a Klingon calisthenics program that Worf uses. And then she and Worf have a Batleth duel. Yes. Just for fun and as a workout. And you can totally see how this is going to take off into a romance and they're going to end up getting married. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Which, and yeah, a big... uh one of the biggest elements in DS9 in this latter half of the of the series is that relationship and what happens as a result yep. of it. Spoilers. So, uh, <laughs> um, also in this scene, Worf encounters Martok's son. Do we ever see Martok's no. son again, Drex? No. I think, yeah, I think he's gone after this. After maybe. he gets his butt kicked by, by Worf, he, that, that's kind of <laughs> the end of him. Right, yeah, Worf handles him pretty, pretty easily, uh, takes his dagger... And the, it's a ploy in order to get Martok to show up and demand his son's dagger and his honor back. Uh, and, and Worf wants wants this because Martok's been avoiding him, and this way he can demand an explanation for what's going on. Doesn't really get one, but you know he's he's trying, and he's frustrated, uh, to, uh, you know, at every turn until Jed Z is the one who tells him, "Look, stop going through official channels. 
find a Klingon who owes you a favor and and ask him. She obviously, as having the memories of Curzon Dax, knows how to really work with within the Klingons more than Worf does, because Worf was never mm-hmm. raised among Klingons. So he goes drinking with a fr- an old friend of his dad, uh, his Klingon father, uh, who, which is in a kind of funny scene where they're sing- uh, singing some Klingon drinking songs, and he ends up revealing to him that what's really going on. But that now they're going to invade Cardassia. That's the real plan. Yeah. Something that I noted is there's a good bit of illogic in in the. I know we're never told fully what the Klingon orders that Gowron is authorized are, but mm-hmm. there's a good bit of illogic here, like that captain searching the Zoza. What are you going to search every spaceship in Bajoran space? For changelings, right? That's without authorization. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. And of course, if you think of this, uh, you can think of this as bad writing, mm-hmm. or you can think of it as it's it is stupid because the, this is a changeling instituted plot, mm-hmm. and right. they want the Klingons here causing chaos, and so there need to be some stupid aspects of what the Klingons are going to do. My question is, does it need to be this stupid, though? <laughs> right. I mean, but yeah, when you think about it, the, the, the first thing the Dominion wants to do is to split apart the two most powerful allies in the Alpha Quadrant so right. that they can, you know, divide and conquer. And that happens here. They, the Klingons withdraw from the Kittimer Accords. Right, right. They are successful. Uh, not ultimately, but in this case. Uh, Odo, by the way, has figured out that Worf is torn between his to cling on heritage and his Starfleet duty somehow. I'm not sure exactly how, but, uh, and has a moment where he, he kind of gives, there's an identification, like I'm a changeling, you know, so my changeling heritage and my duty to mm-hmm. the Bajoran people as the head of security here. And so he, they can identify on that level, which is interesting. And a big part of this is, as you will notice from just how our analysis has been proceeding the last couple of minutes. A big part of this episode is Worf going around and meeting all of the regular cast and giving us moments that show how his character is going to interact and relate to them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we also get the same thing with O'Brien, who of course knows him from the Enterprise, and and it's like a reunion of friends for them. Right. So uh, the Klingons, they they start their war with uh, Cardassia, they invade the 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 peace treaty is the you know the Kittimer Accords are ended after the Klingon uh, the Federation Council condemns it, um, and but Garon shows up at the station on on a ship, not the Nekvar the flagship, but <laughs> just a bird of prey, and uh, he personally asked Worf to come join him in battle, and, and Worf I is like, tempted. I like yeah. how happy Gowron is in this scene. Because mm-hmm. after after Worf has given this information to the Federation about here's what the Klingons are actually planning, you would expect Gowron to get his big scowly eye thing on and be really mad at Worf. And he's not. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, right. you did what you thought was right, I understand. You made enemies today, but I am not one of them. Ha ha ha. And he's, he's genuinely friendly to Worf. And I really mm-hmm. like that. And and it it fits with Klingon psychology. I mean, they're very mercurial. They could go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes when you hit them, they think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and that's essentially kind of this. Uh, but now Worf has this: do I stay or do I go? Thing in a new way than what he's already had. 
And when we jump over the commercial break that would separate part one from part two, he immediately declines the offer. At which point, we get our good old friend, the Scowly Gowron, back. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, he threatens to strip him of everything, you know, of his, his titles. His brothers gets thrown from the council. You'll lose everything. And War says, except my honor. Uh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and this is the, the, the funny thing about Worf is, uh, Worf is, he sees himself as, he's the ideal Klingon that doesn't exist in reality. You know, because yeah. he sees he's he's grown up as someone who sees the Klingon ideal, but didn't live it because he was raised on Earth, and so he's trying to live this ideal that no other Klingon really lives, as far as you know, as far as we know. And it's it's a, that's one of the things that makes Worf interesting mm-hmm. as a character is right. is how he tries he lives up to a higher ideal than those who lived that life their whole lives. Well, and, and, and Jadzia so, eventually, I can't remember what episode, but there's a coming up where she basically calls him on it and says you are the most i can't remember exactly how is it but basically you're the most morose klingon i've ever met <laughs> right you know yeah that's true and it's i mean it kind of comes across that way i i also like how in this scene gowron views himself as protecting the alpha quadrant including the federation mm-hmm. yes so his motives are good he's just been deluded about is you know what do we need to do here Right, and that's again. This is one of the things I like is the Cardassians don't just simply heel turn and become bad guys. I mean, I'm sorry, the Klingons don't just turn and become the bad guys. They they are doing what they see is the right thing, mm-hmm. but not if they do for the wrong reasons. Well, at uh, least that's what the episode wants us to think. Right, right, right. So we have this whole thing about the uh, the invasion. Worf has decided to resign and go off to something called the Nybrite Alliance and et cetera, et cetera, which we know is not going to really happen. In um, fact, this is the only time the Nybrite Alliance is ever mentioned. <laughs> right. Yep. Well, because they're so far away. Yeah. We have this. The, but the, the, Cisco the, declines his resignation, says I need right. you right now, regardless of what happens in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's way too, yeah, way, way too volatile at the moment to let you go. And uh, so they go to this rendezvous you mentioned before with the uh, Ducat mm-hmm. and the Tapa Council, and Cisco has to do battle with the Klingons in order to not only just mm-hmm. save them but survive. Uh, and so now we have fighting, like a, a open warfare between Klingons and Starfleet. So oh, I'm only just... unauthorized by the Federation yeah. Council. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I'm surprised that Cisco stays and you know not thrown into jail. I mean, they they threw uh, uh, Michael Burnham into jail for less, right? Yeah, I assume because Cisco won and had the gratitude of the of the Cardassian government, and right? The Datapa Council probably saved him from disciplinary action, yeah. right? Also, we have here as they're starting this sequence, and so a lot of the second episode is basically a big outer space action sequence. Mm-hmm. And you know how I how much I love action sequences because <laughs> nothing important happens with the plot until the action sequence is over. Yes. But just before the action sequence starts beginning, we get a glimpse of Patricia Tallman. Yes. Lita Alexander from Babylon 5, who is frequently in Next Gen as a stunt woman and a background character. But here she actually has a named part. She's the weapons officer on the Defiant. I mean, she doesn't have a name, but she has a job description. And she gets a line for once. She gets to say, cloaking device is functioning within normal parameters. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I didn't realize. Uh, but I was kind of looking up her, uh, her her bio. She actually was 
the stunt double for uh, Gates McFadden in Generations. So there's uh-huh. a scene where she goes flying, and that's actually Patricia Tallman doing it because she does a lot of stunts. She actually, yeah. you know, of course, those of us who, who watch Babylon 5, that's probably what we know her best for is Lead Alexander. But she's done stunts. Right. She's done uh, a lot of horror movies. She's been in a lot of those. The George Romero horror movies, she's in a, quite a bit of those. So she's okay. she's pretty prolific actress. There is a nice character moment uh, after they've rescued the Databa Council and Dukat where Ducat comes to the bridge and says, Captain, would you kindly inform the security guard that he does not have to monitor my every move? It makes me feel unwelcome. And Dax says, oh, I won the bet, uh, Benjamin. You owe me dinner. And Ducat's like, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, she bet me that, you know, you th- you would thank me for the rescue before you started complaining, but sh- she said you wouldn't. And so I lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so very Ducat. Uh, I love that. I was going to say, there's a great scene with Ducat later with Ducat and Garrick where they're arguing with each other as they're trying to protect the... Yes. The uh, government. The council, yeah. Jimmy? So on our way to rescue the, the Datapa Council, there's an interesting character moment for Cisco because they encounter some wreckage. And this is not, they're not in the place to find the Datapa Council yet. So mm-hmm. it, they're not thinking it's them. But they find this wreckage in space and there may be survivors in the wreckage. And Cisco leaves them. Right, to make the rendezvous to rescue the Datapa Council, and so I find that interesting, you know, yeah. because I'll, uh, the normal Star Trek thing is stop, do scans, and rescue the survivors. But it's like, no, I'm mm-hmm. I'm willing to live with the deaths of these people if it means rescuing the Datapa Council. Right? Yeah, they're told it's that's it might be a trick to get them to decloak, and because there's probably cloaked Klingon vessels waiting for whoever comes to rescue them. And so he doesn't want to take the risk of alerting the Klingons that the fight is on its way, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting moral uh, Mm -hmm. decision he makes there. Also during the battle, we have a couple of lines that I need to complain about. (laughs) So, and, and this crops up several times on Star Trek actually, but at one point Dax says, so they've got a Klingon bird of prey on their tail. And I mean, really on their tail. It is just meters away yeah. from yeah. from them, and and they have they're they've taken down their shields in order to be able to beam the Datapa Council over, and they're using their tractor beam to kind of thwart uh, what the Klingons are doing, and you know the the Klingon attack. And Dax says the ablative armor is holding, mm-hmm. and it's like. Okay, <laughs> I, I know you're an actress, not a linguist, but the word is pronounced ablative. And every time I hear ablative, it's like, yeah. okay, oh, no, ablative. This is, uh, among other things, this is one of the major cases in Latin. Yeah. But I can let that pass. We have another line later in the same sequence where... They have uh, they've gotten the Datapa Council away at this point, if I recall correctly, and Worf announces the Klingons have moved to point-blank range. Now, okay, first, the Klingons were mere meters off your stern before. Yeah. Whatever point-blank range means in space, they were already there. <laughs> Secondly... You don't know what point blank range means because what point blank range means is 
it's within, if you're firing a gun at a target within a gravitational field, point blank range means it, the target is close enough that you don't have to account for the gravitational drop of the bullet and you'll still be able to hit the target. So there's no gravity in space. Your phaser beam is not going to drop due to gravity. You're always at point blank range by that definition. To be fair, I think a yeah. lot of people use point blank range more of the sense of, you know, broadside hitting the broadside of a barn. Close enough that it's, it's so. impossible to miss. Yeah. You know, not so much yeah. of, you know, yes, this is a this is a distance that the, the projectile will not get unduly affected by gravity. Uh, and, and to be fair to Terry Farrell, I think in in the in the military, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think they say ablative when they mean ablative mm-hmm. uh, that kind of armor. Well, and it, it, you it, hear that so you, only you, because she's not, they don't speak. Latin. They don't know. That's she's, right. She's she's not the only one in Star Trek to use <laughs> ablative oh, armor. You hear that oh, all, I, all over the place. I, I yeah. mentioned that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, we cannot. We we're not geeks if we don't complain about the little things as well as the big things, and that's yeah. I'm I'm perfectly happy to accommodate that. That's, so that's having fine. buried Caesar, now let me praise him. <laughs> because after they have their initial battle to where they rescue the Tapa Council, they have to get back to the station without a cloak. And we have, while they're doing that, we have the best scene in this yeah. episode. I was just about to far. bring it up. Good. Yeah. The root beer. Yeah. Root, the <laughs> root beer scene where you have Garak in Quark's bar talking to Quark. And they're relating to each other. Yep. They they both recognize that they they don't like the Federation, but from both of their perspectives, the Federation is their only hope of salvation now. Mm-hmm. And right. they find that, and they realize this is true. It's true for Quark because he needs the Federation to protect the station and his bar, and it's true for Garrick because he needs the Federation to protect his home world. And so they're both in the same position, and they're really bonding over this. And it's really nicely, it's very insightfully done. And so Quark says, now, uh, Garrick is there drinking his typical Canar, the Cardassian beverage. And Quark says, let me have you try this. And he pours him some root beer and asks him to taste it. And Garrick does, and and he says, oh, it's vile. Which is actually probably the response that most people have the first time they ever try root beer. (laughs) And Quark says, yes, it's so bubbly and cloying and happy. And Garrick says, it's insidious. Well, he first says, just like the Federation. Just like the Federation, yeah. Well, yeah. I believe believe that line is next. He says, says it's insidious. And Quark says, just like the Federation. Right. And then Garrick says, do you think they'll be able to save us? <laughs> and there's just yes. there's just poetry to that scene. I love that. Yeah, right. Well, well, that's, Quark also that's he, says, yeah. you know what's really frightening? If you drink enough of it, you begin to like it. Yes. yes. Insidious. Yeah. Just yes. like the, the Federation. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. When you think like from an outsider perspective, I, I like getting that outsider perspective. The Fed, we're, you know, we're the Federation. It's humans, right? But from the outside perspective, we're happy and bubbly and cloying and insidious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, I like that one. 
Uh, and another one that they cut in syndication. You know, it just it's just kind of crazy because which, which, which that is, one's crazy because that's the best scene of the whole of the yeah. whole. Episode. I mean, if, if you go yeah. on YouTube and you search this episode, this is the scene that's going to come up. This, I mean, in this fact, has become the, probably the most famous scene of this episode. At one point, they added the scene as filler for time, and then we're going to cut it when they when they started to run out of time again, and they had to fight to get it back in, which is kind of uh, fascinating. So, so, so Cisco gets back to the station with yes. a huge, massive Klingon fleet behind him now. Right. At which point he gets to deliver the line, now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational <laughs> battle station. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, this uh, turns out better for him than it did for that guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so one of the things I found interesting was Bashir's, uh, his pep talk before the battle for his medical staff which was interesting you know uh mm -hmm. he's remember klingons prefer to use knives and batlets in close combat so if we get boarded you can expect you know all of the stabbing wounds Last, and that well sort of thing. no 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 he he says lacerations crushed bones uh blunt force, blunt force trauma, trauma injuries and i'm going what about puncture wounds <laughs> yes that's right that's right you know keep calm remember your training do the best you can report to your post you're very you know sort of it's it's good that Bashir that that um, the actor has the British accent because it's very British. Keep calm, stay you know, yep, keep, keep to your duty. That was my thought: keep calm and carry on. You know, yes, just just needs to work into a reference, work in a reference to Saint Crispin's Day. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. that's right. <laughs> uh, so we and they will we get, hold their manhood, a uh, personhood, a uh, beinghood cheap that they were not <laughs> with us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, uh, Father Corey, you referenced this, uh, that uh, Ducat shows up where Ducat and some Starfleet security guards are standing to protect the Datapa Council. Yep. And, of course, Ducat and Garrick don't like each other at all. I mean, obviously, they're, yes. they're bitter enemies. And Garrick, they're both pointing phasers at each other, and then Garrick just goes, stands right next to Ducat and says, "You're good. like it or not, we're fighting together. Right, side by side. Uh, so we have the space battle, the shield generators fail, Klingons board the station, this huge oh, bloodbath. And this is the first CGI space battle on Deep Space Nine. Mm. Babylon 5 at the time was the only show, the only sci-fi show that was using CGI for outer space visuals. Right. And Star Trek up to this point had been all practical effects mm -hmm. and model work. And so the, but Babylon 5 had now proved that this, that the technology was good enough. You could use CGI for outer space battles. Right. And so this is the first one we see on Deep Space Nine. Yep. Right. Uh, there is some model work in this. And I, I saw that uh, in one of the scenes because with, with uh, all of the ships, the big fleet, and apparently they were using some literal like toys and like model mm -hmm. kits, commercial mm -hmm off-the-shelf model kits for some of this because well, i'm sure I, I think it's awesome we do get right before the battle we get uh garon doing the uh you know today is a good inkling on today is a good day to die and and you know that that, that whole thing so that I, I do like the 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 bits of untranslated klingon we get like we don't we don't talk down to the audience we fi you'll, you'll figure it out from context you're going to hear the klingon you're going to uh Either you hear it from context or somebody will translate like Worf says, yeah. no, he said today is a good day to die. It's like, oh, okay, right. we're in trouble. <laughs> so like, why, is it, why is everyone's universal translator in their ear offline? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so S Cisco ends up making the case to Garon that 
you know, it's in order to get the battle to the end, is that the their fighting makes the Dominion stronger. Just destroying an empire, I think it was Garon says, destroying an empire to win a war is no victory, and ending a battle to save to save an empire is no defeat. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the realization. Like, why are we doing this? We're we're only serving the purposes of the Dominion by fighting each other, and this is where the Martok changeling is trying to keep the battle going. And Garon uncharacteristically keeps a cool head and says, "No, no, well, this is that's enough." Uh, so, it, it, a, a interesting point there. Uh, there is a lot of uh, internal fighting, like and stunt work in this one. I don't yep. know if you noticed, like mm-hmm. uh, guys mm-hmm. flying off of catwalks and all all kinds of stuff. Like this, I mean, this is a bloodbath. Well, the, uh, the, the, gets- body, the body count on the on the promenade is incredible. The floor is just covered with. Dead or bodies, Klingons. yeah. And Cisco and Kira are performing almost implausibly well against the Klingons in ops. Mm-hmm. Yes, the only one of our regulars who gets injured in this is Kira, who gets a puncture wound. But yes, she, everybody else is just fine, except for all the Klingons. <laughs> Stabbed in the back. Well, I get Kira. I mean, she's fighting those Cardassians all the year, all those years. Well, I mean, I, I guess she, give her, she could be, yeah, yeah. And, and every <laughs> Klingon is not as tough as Worf, so yeah. Right. And, and, and if you want implausible, the, the whole scene with Dax and Worf fighting is what I felt was more implausible because you've got this very skinny, petite woman yeah. versus Worf. Right. You know, and, and she holds her own against him. It's like, yeah, that's a little yeah. implausible. I, I don't no, care no how much how you remember is, about Curzon. That's not yeah, going exactly. to help you. Hold on. Yeah. I, I took that, since this is a calisthenics program, I took that as he's not really... He's not trying to kill her. He, <laughs> right. This is a this is a stylized form of ritual exercise combat. Yeah, okay. and so he's he's not using his full strength. If he That's wanted to kill her, he would just kill her. Yeah. Well, she calls right. him out on that and says, "Oh, are you holding back on me because I'm a woman?" You know. But yeah, still. I mean, he does end up winning the battle, the the mock battle, the but still. Yeah. So uh, after the battle. Uh, if the things have been cleaned up and all the bodies have been disposed of, they, uh, you know, things open up. Morning and is the we, first know, one. we know how they dispose of organic matter in Star Trek. Yes, tomorrow's <laughs> lunch. So, <laughs> uh, Morn is the uh, first customer back in Quarks, which I, I, I like. Uh, it's a nice little nod to Morn. Uh, Cisco ends up having to convince Worf to stay and not go off to the Nybride Alliance uh, by telling him that pain, running from pain and loss won't save you from the pain. He basically accuses Worf of being a coward. Yes, yes, uh, essentially, and it also wouldn't let him deny that he's always been a Starfleet officer and always will be, no matter what. Which is, you know, kind of interesting. Uh, so Worf does end up staying. He shows up uh, in ops wearing his new red uniform with the uh, in, in the new title of Strategic Operations Officer, which is, I think, an interesting role for Worf is uh, sort of advisor on. The Starfleet's interests within this area outside of the Bajoran system is the way I'd, I'd look at it. Yep. And uh, we we find out that the Klingons have pulled back from most of Cardassia, the Cardassian Empire, although they're refusing to give up several Cardassian colonies and are fortifying their positions. And so we're left with the ominous. Looks like the Klingons are here to stay. Which is a symbolic line referring to the whole show as a whole. Yep. Right, right. Because Cisco then says, yes, but maybe they are, but so are we. And that's how we end the episode. Mm. So uh, any any final thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? 
Another another scene I really liked was uh Cork was gonna stay and fight for his his uh shop the or bar. his uh, yeah. bar. And of course he has this this case with his disruptor that was from when he was in, in freight service, opens it up, there's a note from Rom saying, Oh sorry, I borrowed all the parts for the <laughs> to fix something. We'll <laughs> return them soon. Yes. <laughs> Jimmy? So even though I'm not a fan of action sequences during the fist fight on on uh, Deep Space Nine, there's a moment where we cut to, you know to different characters to see what's happening to them during the fight. And at one point we cut to Odo, and I and most people are using guns, you know, mm-hmm. at the, at least at this stage or Batless. And Odo is just punching people with his fists. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, dude, you're a changeling. You can do amazing things in combat. Why are you just punching people with your fist? And he's not even doing it intelligently, you know, like a uppercut to the nose or something. He's got the two-hand back, Kirk, bring your Kirk hands smash. down on someone back. Yeah, <laughs> The Kirk it's, smash. The, it, yeah, it's not even intelligent fist fighting. And and they kind of hang a lantern on this because then another character, I think it's Julian, runs up and saves him with a gun and he says thanks. It's like, yeah, you if that's the way you're fighting, you're going to need people to bail you well, out. I mean, if, if I was going to do hand-to-hand combat as a changeling, I just turn my, you know, the, my fists into, you know, like hammerheads, metal hammerheads, mm-hmm. and just start smashing. Yeah, that's one thing you could do, or you could just envelop a person and suffocate them into unconsciousness. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole, yeah, he's a changeling. There's a whole lot more he could be doing than Turn just, your yeah. hands into giant scissors and decapitate them in one stroke. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a bit gruesome for for a DS9 but uh, well but yeah, yeah. okay pinch their carotid artery until they fall unconscious yeah there you go there, there you go, go. just yep. squeeze them into a submission uh, all right I think that uh, that should do it for us for now uh, let's uh, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest Now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you became a new patron at, say, $10 a month, after three months, our donor would give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including this one, which makes your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, Now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us each week. So what do you think of The Way of the Warrior, this uh, season premiere for uh, season four of Deep Space Nine? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, The Scorpion Part 1. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and kapla! And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, today is a good day to die. Kapla! Kapla! <laughs> <laughs>